electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber with Sarah Eisen and Mike Santoli. We're live from Post 9 at the New York Stock Exchange. Jim and Carl both have the morning off. Let's give you a look at futures as we get ready to start this Thursday trading day. You can uh, see where we are. No, we're not going to show it to you because we don't have them right now. Take my word for it. Looks like we're going to have an up open at least slightly. Our roadmap, though, starts with those markets and the Fed announcing its ninth straight interest rate hike. It was 25 basis points, Sarah. Plus, CEO of TikTok headed to the Hill, testifying before Congress over his app's security concerns. And just out, a new short call from Hindenburg Research saying the short payment company block, that stock is sinking pre-market. We will, of course, discuss. Yeah, it's a long report, a lot to get through uh, on that. But uh, let's start with the Fed, of course, and the interest rate hike. In yesterday's press conference, Chair Powell saying the recent failure of a couple of regional banks could cause ripple effects that slow down the economy. What we were doing there was taking on board the uncertainty, trying to reflect the uncertainty about what will happen. I mean, it, it's possible that this will turn out to have very modest effects. These events will turn out to be very, very modest effects on the economy, in which case, and inflation will continue to be strong, in which case, the, you know, the path will look, uh, might look different. It's also possible that this uh, potential tightening will contribute significant uh, tightening in, in uh, credit conditions over time. And, and in principle, if that, that, that's, that means that monetary policy may have less work to do, we simply don't know. We simply don't know. Wrapping up, obviously, many of the things that we've discussed at this desk for at least the last week and a half or so, Sarah. I think that if you come out today and wonder where we are in the hiking cycle, you can pretty much assume we're either done or he's got one more left. And I don't. And that was where the market was. And I don't think he said anything to change that. Basically acknowledge that we don't know what the path is from here because we don't know how much this banking turmoil will weaken the economy, and he talked a lot about tighter lending standards, as we have been talking about. And I think the read, the read through for the market is that whereas, Mike, before this news conference, we would have gotten some weak data because of all the tightening and the Fed kind of ex- would have excused that because they were strictly in inflation fighting mode. But now when we get weak data, Fed's going to pay more attention to it because it is very now keen to understand how this banking problem is impacting the economy. Without a doubt. And the the market reaction absolutely net dovish. The dollar cracked pretty hard. It bounced just slightly late in the day. But basically saying, as you mentioned, the language of some additional firming might be necessary was much more muted than what they've previously said. And J.P. Morgan pointing out it almost exactly mimics the language that the Bernanke Fed used in mid-2006 when they were about to pause after a very, very extended hiking cycle got the Fed funds rate to 5%. So it's coded that we're done. Also, just conveying the idea that they are now focused on trying to anticipate and evaluate the impact of credit tightening, right? If you remember, this Fed has been, hey, we're not going to anticipate anything. 
We're going to just look at the data on inflation as it comes in. We're not going to try to project where it's going. Now they have to at least do some of that. Um, also, you know, the, the summary of economic predictions, the, the dot plot implying a 0.4% real GDP gain for the U.S. this year, slightly lower from what they said in December. If you believe anything about how strong the first quarter has been, right, the Atlanta Fed GDP and above 2%, a big slowdown. it means you're going negative yeah. for some period of time yeah. the rest of the year. So that all builds into this. Okay, we have a Fed pause perhaps earlier than we thought we were going to get it a few weeks ago, but at what cost? And that's where we are. We're at the at what cost uh, point in figuring out exactly how much banks are going to pull back, well, how they're retrenching Sarah, and all the rest. when it comes to figuring out just how much banks are going to yeah. pull back, when are we going to know something or what are we going to look at or is the Fed going to look at to actually determine the impact? They're going to look at tightening conditions. They're going to look at, you know, the senior officer loan survey, because that was already tightening pretty dramatically, almost to recession levels going into this banking crisis. And everyone thinks that that's where you're going to see it the most. Auto loans, commercial real estate loans, mortgage loans, commercial and industrial loans, everything. And it's not just regional banks, it's the big banks too. So what will that do to the economy? Well, the views are all over the map. Deutsche Bank last night putting out a note saying half a percent to one percent of growth. But the truth is nobody knows because nobody knows how severe this tighter lending standards is actually going to be. Goldman Sachs says it's going to be less severe because it's already been so much, so it's going to be less. The bottom line is, if you're worried about rate hikes, the dot plot showed their projections. 5.1% is where they expect the rate to end this year. That's exactly what they said in December. It did not go up. So they're definitely taking a much more cautious view. He even said, Powell said, they talked about pausing this meeting, but then unanimously decided to go ahead. By the way, Bank of England joined them this morning, this idea that we're watching the banking system, but we're raising interest rates because we have an inflation problem. And that message came across loud and clear. I think it was mostly as expected. Yeah. If um, not for that Janet Yellen curveball. Well, there you go. <laughs> the thing that was perhaps not expected was that Janet Yellen would be speaking at the same time yeah. in front of a Senate committee uh, and the Treasury Secretary actually saying some things that seemed to have an impact on the broader markets uh, at the same time that Powell was conducting his press conference. Um, some words from somebody who usually chooses them quite carefully that perhaps, I don't know, maybe she wants to take back. Take a listen. Such a failure is deemed to create systemic risk, which I think of as the risk of a contagious bank run that we are likely to, in, to invoke the systemic risk exception, which permits the FDIC to protect all depositors, and that that would be a case-by-case -case determination. I understand. I and that not considered or discussed anything having to do with blanket um, insur insurance or guarantees of Two all points. deposits. I have not considered or discussed anything having to do with blanket insurance or guarantees of all deposit. It was that last sentence that seemed to at least set some people off a little I'm bit. Not, I'm not sure why that was in Congress to anything that she said before. I mean, you would need Congress for that. She would need to go to Congress for that. I think the more important Thing that she said, which was very consistent to what she told the American Bankers Association, is that they would consider using that systemic risk 
application for any other bank that fails, including small banks. There's the implicit uninsured depositors guarantee. There is, but it was that line that was taken by the market. Somehow you saw what happened to the name, for example, First Republic. We followed closely the overall banks, the market in general. Uh, you know, I think she was people just saying to me, why say anything? Why have added that? Did she understand the psychology of the market well, in the time she was saying it? I know we're talking about Janet Yellen. I understand somebody who is very attuned to every single word she says. Uh, you well, we're expect- talking about Janet Yellen getting asked effectively the same question by multiple members of Congress and trying to be honest about what her legal authority is, right? I mean, I think that's part of it. You're put in that position uh, during a, a, J- a Jay Powell press conference. The market just, I, got, I think, got overloaded with the static of the, of the city. Again, I don't think she misspoke, and I don't think it was that's different right. from what Powell said, which is that people should assume depositors are safe. She has said that people should assume we're willing to use our systemic risk application, which is what they use for SBB and what they use for Signature Bank to ensure depositors. It, it wasn't a misspeaking. I, I think it, what it was, was it's why it surprised people is because Bloomberg put out a report earlier in the week that there was discussion among Treasury officials to try to figure out how to circumvent Congress uh, on some sort of blanket guarantee for uninsured depositors. And so she sort of poured cold water on that report. So if that's what people had excited. said that that's not true then. Right given she said it has not been discovered or discussed at all. Exactly. I mean, in terms of the market response, look, this is a market that wants to be told there's one fewer thing that we have to worry about here. Can we please just set that aside? And they're not going to get the immediate satisfaction on that, right? It's just, it can't happen. It's going to be an act of Congress. So when you hear Powell and Yellen effectively say, look, case by case, if something gets to uh, a distressed situation and we have to respond, we'll do it. But the market doesn't want to hear whack-a-mole. They want to hear a blanket solution. And she has even said for small banks, which, of course, is the concern here, right? If you get a PacWest, if you get a First Republic, are you going to get the same thing? Is that going to be considered consystemic? She has if she insinuated. Had stopped at case-by-case determination, though, there would have been no market reaction. Yeah. Well, Why'd I, she I, need to throw that last sentence in there? Perhaps because there is discussion that they're trying to get Congress to use their their funds to expand a blanket insurance. And I think there's there would be criticism of that, too, that we're nationalizing the banks. You know, you've heard you've heard that as well. And that might be very hard to do. And it would cost a ton of money and ultimately could impact U.S. taxpayers, which is also somewhere she definitely has made clear they do not want to go. So I think the bottom line is when Powell says depositors should assume their deposits are safe. I don't think she said anything in conflict with that. I think it was a good news moment. And I think further what Powell said in that news conference is that deposit flows in the banking system have stabilized over the last week. He gets more data than we do. He does. And that's important data. In fact, perhaps the most important right now in terms of understanding where those deposits are going or whether they're moving at all. Absolutely. But to the extent that this has slowed down, if not stopped entirely, that that obviously is a very big And you can imagine from a from a financial regulator's uh, perspective, from a central banker's perspective, you know, what we're really seeing is deposits being reallocated within the banking system, uh, right, from somewhat smaller, more vulnerable banks to larger ones. Yeah. They're not seeing, I mean, obviously some of it's going into money, money markets and treasury bills and all the rest of it. Yes. And it's destabilizing parts of the industry. There's no doubt about it. Um, but, you know, Powell was also as... So the way you responded to the SVB crisis, does that mean SVB was systemically important? And he basically said, no, but contagious bank runs would be systemically important. And we were afraid and legitimately that if you let it go, that you would have a chain reaction of systemic bank runs. And so, in effect, that's the policy, right? I think it's not just systemic bank runs. I think it's something that really spooked everyone. And 
we've heard this from a number of conversations we've had on and off the record with bank executives, which is the the idea of a digital and social media fueled bank run. Jane Frazier is talked totally about it yesterday um, right. as well. Uh, I don't know if we have that particular City quote. CEO. City CEO uh, and a number of different comments. But you're right. The, the speed of it, basically, that it is like everything else. It's a, do we have that? Do we have that sound from Jane Frazier? All right, let's take a listen. The banking system is pretty sound, and, and we're talking about a few banks. We heard it from the chairman, Pal, today. Um, this is not something that is spread across the entire banking system. This isn't like it was last time. This is not a credit crisis. Um, this is a situation where it's a few banks um, that have some problems, and it's better to make sure that we nip that in the bud. All right, that was not what we were looking for. She also spoke about what you were saying, Sarah, which was the danger of digital things and the danger of digital. Runs. And this is what distinguished that bank run and probably would have continued on that Monday had they not stepped in to sure. uh, to take over SVB and offer that insurance. Still, this is not a credit crisis is a good headline from one of the biggest bank CEOs. You know, if you're looking yeah. for some reassurance that these are sort of one offs mismanaged interest rate risks, which, by the way, a lot more people piling onto that idea. We talked to CME Group uh, CEO Terry Duffy yesterday. Like, why weren't they hedging? Why weren't they using the CME Group products? I know he was talking short. his own book. But. I know. No, it's all of it. Why weren't the examiners <laughs> well, in there sooner? I'll tell you why At they weren't hedging. Say, Rates are moving up. Maybe you want to I'll take I'll tell you why they weren't hedging. Sure. It's because the entire story of banking with, when, the, when the Fed was lifting rates was, what's your net interest margin going to be? Yeah. Project a better net interest margin for us. Investors hounding them, just like they were hounding tech. What's your total addressable yeah. market? How are you growing? True. Are you getting to scale? Although and then JP it became Morgan stayed pretty conservative. Cut costs. JP Morgan, you know, they right. kept their durations. JP tight. Morgan's brand is we'll get you through the worst times, and they've benefited from and it. Others and too. M and T Bank. M and others. Yeah. I'm not sure about City, frankly, exactly where they are, but yeah, others. Um, B of A, not as clear. Yeah. But we're seeing more stability today as we look every day to see what the confidence factor is around the bank. First stability. Republic is up in the free market. There you go. That's the, <laughs> that is the barometer. It is. Yep. Still to come on the show, the CEO of TikTok, Big Day, set to testify before Congress, hoping to save the app in the U.S. We've got all the details. Plus, we are watching shares of Block this morning tumbling after Hindenburg Research says short the stock. More on that story straight ahead. Taking a look at futures right now. Looks like we're higher across the board. NASDAQ in the lead. The Dow's up 50 points in the early going. Much more Squawk on the Streets. Stay straight ahead. Stay with us. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. 
Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back. TikTok CEO Shozi Chu set to testify for the first time before Congress today as his app faces bipartisan criticism and the threat of being shut down here in the United States. Guys, we'll be watching this carefully. It's kind of a no-win situation for him, though, because you've got both sides of the aisle piling on about the security risk. And I think that the toughest and most important question is going to be, does ByteDance spy on U.S. citizens now that you have 150 million users, more than one in three people in the U.S. using TikTok? Uh, not to mention, of course, time spent, which when you talk about the possibility of this being shut down would be very beneficial, not just to the obvious uh, beneficiaries such as uh, Meta or Snap, but even to the streaming companies, because it's all about time spent. Uh, and so if that were to have, be the case, Sarah, to your point, you had 150 million people spending an awful lot of their time in a given day on this app. Whether it really will be banned, who knows? There's certainly going to be a uh, potentially hostile reception where he's going to be met with a uh, somewhat hostile reception, as you say, on both sides of the aisle. Unclear at this point really what they can offer to do, given the deep level of distrust there is of the Chinese government. You can say almost anything and everybody's like, yeah, they're still going to figure out a way to spy on us. They're still going to figure out a way to steal stuff. By the way, it doesn't mean that they aren't doing that anyway. And it's not clear exactly what and how beneficial TikTok is to the overall Chinese efforts of cyber espionage that we've been talking about and reporting on for they can also feed us decade. propaganda. That's the other worry. Yes. Yeah. There are other social networks they can use for that, too, can't they? Sure. Yeah. I do think it's a, the big question is just exactly how persuadable are, are, are politicians on this matter. Like, can they offer any assurances that you can hive off the data, that you can even sell the business and, and be safe? Or is it just a matter of this is an excuse to essentially press the case that, the, that this company can't be trusted. Well, the other thing is, it, it's, a big, it's going to be a big show, right? We know that. Um, but what can they actually do? So there are four proposals in Congress to ban TikTok, but only one of them has the backing of the White House, as I understand it. That's the Warner Thune bill from the senators. And, and what that does is actually would give the Commerce Secretary and Commerce Department authority to ban mm -hmm. TikTok. So again, that would be a process and it could take months, years. And then we get to the 2024 election. And guess what? We're banning TikTok. 150 million users who not just dance, but cook, get their financial advice, you know, have communities on there, get Without upset. A doubt. That's a factor. Not to mention a lot of people who are in their living, as you say, uh, or a lot of their living from, from the Beauty platform. tips. You know, Major. there is that question as to whether ByteDance would consider a sale of TikTok U.S., of course, then you'd have to have the algorithm here, and then you wouldn't be able to actually update the algorithm anymore. And that is really what has powered this for so long in terms of the success that they've had. Um, and any number of bankers and, that I've talked to at least think about that as, a, well, who would it be? Wouldn't be you know, Microsoft? No. Apple, Amazon, Meta. I mean, none of them would be able Oracle? to buy it. Oracle was the first time around. So then the question is, is there another buyer you're not thinking about, a Netflix? Uh, or is there a sponsored spin of some kind, you know, where you have a pipe, where you throw in a lot of uh, potential money from private equity, and, you know, Kevin Mayer comes over and runs it again from Blackstone, and they throw, who knows? People are just thinking about these things down the road, because we're not there yet. Um, China, but China doesn't seem eager for a sale. No, no. Uh, and in fact, on that note, we should get to Yunus Yoon for the reaction uh, from China. Uh, Yunus. 
Thanks, guys. Well, um, only a couple of moments ago, China's Commerce Ministry did weigh in, saying that China would oppose a forced sale of TikTok and that such an action against TikTok would, quote, damage business confidence globally towards investing in the United States. Now, the spokesperson also hinted as to the steps that China might take next, uh, saying that a sale or divestment of TikTok involves technology export issues and that licensing procedures must be carried out according to Chinese law. It also added that the Chinese government would be the one uh, making a decision in accordance with the laws. Now, uh, back when the Trump administration had also attempted to force a, a sale of TikTok uh, back in 2020, uh, this issue had uh, come up. The Chinese government had attempted to block uh, the, the sale at that time, uh, saying that uh, TikTok had proprietary technology that should not end up in the hands of uh, foreigners. Uh, China introduced a new export restriction uh, back then that was uh, governing advanced AI, which includes algorithms such as ByteDance. Now, the sale uh, didn't happen back then, and we don't know whether or not uh, the uh, Chinese uh, government would be able to or allow anything this time around. There's been a lot of confusion uh, in the legal community here as to whether or not the Chinese government could even legally do it. Uh, but uh, it's been interesting because up until now, uh, this uh, topic has not actually garnered a whole lot of attention. This is definitely the strongest statement that we've seen as of yet and could hint that the Chinese government in the coming weeks um, or months, as you guys were saying, this could drag on for a while, uh, could become much more critical of a forced sale. Guys? Eunice, thank you. Uh, another point of contention, of course, between China and the United States. Eunice Yun joining us from Beijing. We're going to take a quick break here. Uh, we got a lot more squawk in the street straight ahead. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Check out the biggest leaders in the early action here on the S&P 500. Less than six minutes till the open. Regeneron and look, First Republic Bank. Up more than 6.6%, continuing to gain as potentially more confidence comes around the banking system after Powell, Yellen, and a number of moves to try to ring fence this problem. Host Hotels, Accenture, and Genera. Opening bell just a few minutes away. Stay with us on Squawk on the Street. Noted short seller Hindenburg Research has a new target this morning, Block. Hindenburg says the payment company is facilitating fraud. Mike, you've gone through this report. What are the key arguments? Well, that's one big element of it is that essentially they have uh, insufficient compliance uh, against fraud. So in other words, the cash app being used for payments for criminal activities, they allege, as well as uh, during the COVID relief programs, uh, a lot of fraudulent payments to individuals and small businesses. It's more than that, though. The bear case also rests on what they insist, uh, what Hindenburg insists, are inflated user counts, uh, kind of double and triple counting individuals with multiple accounts. And then another piece of it, which is the revenue line from interchange fees, something a lot of payment processes 
processors get. This is merchant fees. And basically saying they route these through a small bank. It's to get around a cap uh, on certain large institutions. PayPal does the same thing. A lot of things funneling toward uh, this is a company that's willing to play fast and loose with regulations to allow its users uh, to essentially move money around without a lot of scrutiny, in some cases not requiring social security numbers when they did. So uh, based on a lot of, as, as Hindenburg does, employee interviews, former employee interviews, public records requests and things like that. Yeah. So it really is about corporate behavior, uh, which makes the business seem more than it is, uh, as opposed to really just a valuation right. call or something Wildly like that. Wildly overstating its genuine user counts and understating its customer acquisition costs. We should point out, by the way, Hindenburg, people may or may not remember. Nikola, remember the truck going down, not on its own power. Most recently, the giant Indian company. Uh, we're going to get back to Block in a moment as well, given that get to the opening bells this morning from the uh, building. We're going to get probably a little more green on the real kind of change back at uh, our headquarters. Here at the big board, the old model company, and at the NASDAQ, data platform, year intelligence. Another listing via SPAC. They continue. Not as many as there once were, not a lot of them going public anymore, but still some of the actual deals are closing with the listings. I feel like today is a little bit, Mike, of a delayed reaction to the Fed meeting because if you look at what's leading the market in the early going, communication services, technology, and consumer discretionary, and if the message and the takeaway from the Fed is that maybe one, maybe no more hikes left, and they're considering this banking crisis as a de facto tightening so that, they, that their work is getting done for them, then that would support technology. It would mean rates come down, the dollar come down, that whole trade goes back on. That kind of got disrupted because of the way the market interpreted the Treasury Secretary's comments around the banks, yeah. no blanket insurance. But now you are seeing that rally, and it is being led by the tech. Nasdaq's up one and a quarter percent. And as we often mention, um, there's often a next day reassessment of what the real takeaway was from the Fed. Uh, a lot of times after the press conference, there is a bit of an overshoot. That did happen yesterday. But just for context, S&P was down 1.6% yesterday. So he got back at the open about half of that. And it is true, if you're worried about the economy wobbling from here because of the bank credit issues, the obvious flow would be into the strong balance sheet companies that aren't quite as geared toward you know, the macro. And that's, that gets you into the NASDAQ names that have reasserted themselves. Uh, but uh, significant among those is the semiconductors as well. And, and NVIDIA has been almost kind of a story uh, unto itself, along with the resilience in things like Microsoft uh, and Apple. And so here you have NVIDIA popping another 3%. Now, you know, it's pushing $700 billion in market cap. Uh, again, and uh, is is bigger than Tesla, as I noted yesterday, bigger market than, cap wise. Bigger than Tesla, it has been the key. It has obviously been the enthusiasm around all the different applications for generative AI, and the fact that Nvidia is the source for the chips that are going to generate it. As expensive as it will be, by the way, something we don't talk about as often, but. There's an awful lot of computing power that uh, it takes to, uh, to create generative AI, uh, open AI, think ChatGPT, for, uh, and others, um, BARD. It just takes an enormous amount of, of uh, computing power. So it's really expensive. There's uh, a look at uh, TikTok USA CEO. Um, there he is, arriving uh, at the Capitol for that uh, house hearing that's gonna begin fairly soon. May take some questions. Let's uh, let's listen in. 
Uh, we are very excited to be here. There are many misconceptions about our company, and I'm very proud to come here and represent them and all our users here in this country. Now, I'm going to make four commitments to this committee today and all our users in this country. Number one, we're going to prioritize safety, particularly for teenagers, and we're going to keep it a top priority for us. Second, we're going to firewall off protected US data from any unwanted foreign access. Three, we commit to keep TikTok free, you know, a free place for freedom of expression without any manipulation by any government. And fourth, we are committing to transparency and we're committing to third-party monitoring. We will give them access to keep us accountable for our commitments that we're making. Well, thank you very much. I'll see you inside. Thank you. That's uh, Shuzi Chu, uh, TikTok CEO, of course, uh, who will be grilled, no doubt, uh, by the committee that he's going to be appearing in front of, but giving his sort of four reasons. We didn't even discuss, of course, the, much of the criticism that comes TikTok and other social media's way in terms of the mental health, particularly for teens. It's a crisis in this country. Uh, and, you know, TikTok certainly is, is one of a number of uh, these social media platforms that are that But are I feel like those will be good, good points for him because he's ready for them and can say what TikTok is doing to fight them. And also, it does not lump them as a national security risk, which is really what the issue here is in terms of a ban. And, it, you know, it's an industry problem. Meta's faced questions like that. Snap has questions like that as well. So to the extent that they are about teenage mental health, child safety, pornography, those type of questions, which are emotional and they're real, and we should be asking, it's not a TikTok-specific problem. No, and it's not necessarily a reason that Congress would move to ban the use of the app by all yeah. Americans, um, which again is a process that could take quite some time, and we simply don't know at this point where it really ends up. Although, as you pointed out, Sarah, the election will probably, it'll probably mix in with yeah with what becomes a much more uh, heated election It's also season. interesting how Snap and Meta trade, you know, in response to all this. Both stocks up like 15, 16 percent this month, you know, as, as people have focused on the possibility of TikTok going away. It's probably worth asking exactly if, you know, all that activity, all that attention, all the ad dollars simply shift over. We just don't know enough about how the whole uh, industry might reorganize itself, even if TikTok were, were, to, were to go away. I mean, I just think it's worth... Uh, you know, questioning that linear logic that somehow Snap is going to, you know, grab all that time. Clearly yeah. be a benefit. But. No, it would. And short form would benefit. But as I said yeah. earlier, there's a there's a theory that as well, just because of how much time is spent yeah. on TikTok in particular, that people would perhaps spend more time on longer form, too, on streaming platforms and the like. Because um, love to come to a couple of, we saw Regeneron at the top of the leaderboard there. I think it's worth hitting just a good old straightforward news story here. Uh, Duplixin is a drug that uh, Regeneron and Sanofi have. Uh, they're saying it has now demonstrated as a result of uh, what they're calling pivotal trials, uh, phase three trials, the potential to become the first biologic to treat COPD by showing what they say is significant reduction in exacerbations. Uh, that is even very beneficial to Regeneron stock and you can take a look at Sanofi as well. Um, COPD, by the way, life-threatening respiratory disease, damages the lungs, causes progressive lung function decline, and you can see it's having a beneficial impact on Regeneron shares, of course, as they share uh, what is um, the third leading cause of death worldwide with no new treatment approaches approved in more than a decade. Another potential winner here in the market is General Mills, which I wanted to hit, GIS. A another beat and raise quarter, and especially in 
especially impressive, guys, because General Mills raised guidance at Cagney, which is the consumer analyst group conference, which was a few weeks ago. They raised guidance even further from there today. It's up 2.5% for a staple. That's a big move. But basically what's happening is pricing. They are getting higher prices. I mean, 16% organic revenue growth, Mike, 16% pricing, zero volumes. So, so yeah. that's the whole word of elasticity, whereas, which just means in the consumer world, consumers are eating it and they're not sacrificing volumes and they're not necessarily you know, cutting back on spending. That's what's at play here. They're able to get the strong pricing. I think there will be more questions, especially from the food, for the food manufacturers, about just how much they're trying to expand their profit margins in the face of what has been declining commodity costs and better freight costs. We're seeing it across industries, not in food. They're still getting this crazy high pricing, and that's why they're able to report these kind of quarters like this. Because consumers are eating the food cost increases? That's what's happening? Eating it, yeah. No um. pun intended. But they are. <laughs> Cereal, yogurt. The only spot that was a little bit weaker was the pet food. But even yeah. that shows That's been an interesting sideline as well. Um, yeah. And so these companies, therefore, uh, in this type of environment, are able to kind of maintain their, you know, kind of 20%, 20 times multiples and 3% dividend yield type story. So, uh, so far, I mean, I do think it's a legitimate question as to whether, uh, you know, they can really project ahead and hold this pricing. But that's been uh, a pretty consistent story so far. By it's the way, the earnings call is just going on. Thank you, Brandon Gomez, our producer, for sending me notes here. But they're getting a lot of questions on pricing and just how much the consumer can tolerate here. They feel comfortable with where they are, but with the amount of pricing they've taken, according to CEO Jeff Harmoning, that historical elasticity is, in other words, how much the consumer can, can really stomach would suggest much bigger declines. They're not seeing that. So overall, the theme is resilience, resilient consumer, resilient pricing power for some of these packaged food companies. It's amazing. For sure. Also, people are still eating at home more. Um, do we want to come back to Block, Mike? Yeah, and I was going to say. A bit more about I was that. also uh, noticing PayPal down two and a half percent, two point seven percent, just on the general know, again, idea. Again, Hindenburg ne- is never known for uh, you know mincing words. They are they're very straightforward in terms of their criticism. We haven't heard from the company, and obviously we want to give Block uh, every opportunity to respond to what is uh, a long report from Hindenburg. Jack Dorsey cloaks himself in tie-dye T-shirts and a guru beard all while professing to care deeply about the demographics he is taking advantage of. Um, And it goes on from there. And the company points out that uh, Dorsey has noted with pride the number of hip-hop songs that that Cash App is is named in, and they say, well, that's because it's, you know, uh, usually in the context of some kind of criminal activity. Gangs. Gang activity, one of which was named the Cash App Gang. Uh, So, obviously, kind of unseemly stuff in general, but he also points out Dorsey and his co-founders sold a billion dollars worth of stock near the highs. Uh, It it seems like there was a uh, a sense that they had this great rush of pandemic-era users uh, that they then more or less uh, just tried to maintain. Supposedly, a lot of the charge-off for fraud, the the expenses related to fraudulent activities, they tried to hide, uh, according to former employees and according to Hindenburg, within the sales and marketing line of the uh, the, industry. income statement. So really just a lot of uh, on all fronts saying uh, there was kind of sloppy mismanagement of the company. And it was uh, less than it appeared. And by the way, not a lot of it about Bitcoin, you know, like Mm -hmm. about that whole 
turn that management made in that direction, renaming the company Block in, in, in that regard. Um, and you know, this, this is a stock that was at 260 at the highs back in uh, you know, the NASDAQ peak. It, it bottomed right in the low 50s at the market low last year. So already a tremendous amount of value given up. And you know, what's also interesting is it's part of this whole rethink of what fintech is. I mean, is fintech really anything new and special or was it just kind of a new gloss to yeah. seem like financial services and payments uh, are a growth business. Um, Hindenburg obviously very much destabilized uh, the capital markets activity of Adani Group, one of the most important yeah. companies in India. That was not that long ago uh, where they came out with that very uh, significant report in terms of Adani, now following it up with this one on block saying they have 65 to 75 percent fundamental downside, they believe, from the current levels. Now, obviously, it's an interesting business model that Hindenburg has. Yeah. Mike, where they put out what are detailed reports. They have been proved right in the past, yep. certainly in certain circumstances. And, uh, and obviously, they also face a lot of resistance from those companies, though, that they do go after. But they're taken seriously. You better do your work if you're going to put something like this out. Yes. Um, and they, they do have a significant impact. But obviously, they put it out. They're already short the stock. Well, they're already short the stock. And they actually, yesterday, the, the firm tweeted, we have a new short idea, and it's a big one. Uh, there was a lot of put option activity on Square, on, on Block, excuse me, uh, in weeks leading up to this, people are pointing out. So clearly they were doing their work or they were kind of ru ru uh, ruffling enough feathers in this area that there was a sense that they were closing in on this. Uh, so yeah. Have they uh, had any big misses, Hindenburg? It's a good question. Um, I think it's TBD on some of them. But yeah, I mean, Adani has managed to write itself yeah. to some extent, but, uh, but again, Trying to go. I mean, it's been a while now. Listen, on Nicola, they were yeah, they were kind of the key the key acts there. They they crushed it on such a weird issue about the. I know, the but fake it went to overall and, and obviously the CEO at the time and what were just so many different things that were at the very least hyperbole, if not out. This one definitely all. blindsides the street a little bit because I was just looking. I mean, still had 75 percent sell side analysts uh, with buy ratings on block. They, you know, people just kind of love the general story. There. Well, they were upgrading it recently exactly. because Block was one of those tech companies that found religion on cost. Right. On cost, you know, and, and it became a, an expense management story, which is, you know, the best thing you can say about a high-flying, high-growth tech company yeah. these days. Kathy Wood, we had on, she was buying, she was buying millions of dollars in block. And I remember asking her, why are you yeah. doing that when consumer discretionary, consumer spending is set to slow down? And she defended it, obviously, with the, the technology. Here's, here's Kathy earlier this week on block and why she loves it so much. What we're seeing uh, with, with Block, Square, Cash App, uh, we're seeing two things. Uh, it is reducing the cost of financial services, and so more people are flocking to it. And in fact, it's developing a closed-loop ecosystem, and we believe could be one of the big winners in the digital wallet space, where it won't even have to interact, uh, where their clients won't have to interact with banks. So not because of consumer discretionary and no. not necessarily just because of Cash App either. For Kathy, like a lot of these names that she's like, it's the ecosystem that they're building yeah. and the disruption in their space. And look, we see a lot of those white 
card readers all over the exactly. place. Exactly. Nothing about criminals in terms of what you Nothing about sex trafficking, no. um, Real quick, we should mention COIN uh, because it is down. Coinbase is down uh, sharply as well. This on that Wells notice. It was reported yesterday, of course, for those who may not be aware. Wells notice basically indicates the SEC is um, going to bring uh, charges uh, but gives you an opportunity to respond prior to uh, doing so. Um, sort of written statement to the, uh, to the decision makers you get to respond. Um, civil, remember, civil, not criminal, SEC. Nonetheless, uh, it is taking a significant chunk of market cap from that company as a result of that news, Sarah. Ugly, down 15%, though it's been a big winner this year, as you say. Before we head to break, it is time for a quick bond report. Let's see how Treasuries are faring this morning, the morning after the Fed chair and the Federal Reserve raises interest rates 25 basis points. Signal they will do less in the future because of everything that's happened in the banking system. Lower yields, 3.49 on the 10-year. Two-year is below 4%, 3.9%. So buying treasuries. Also, the dollar is getting a little bit of a bid after a very sharp sell-off yesterday. We'll be right back here on Squawk on the Street. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. The Federal Reserve raising interest rates a quarter point and projections calling for one more hike this year. Federal Reserve Chair Powell says financial conditions are tightening after the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and could slow the economy. Joining us now is the former Federal Reserve Governor, Daniel Tarullo, now professor at Harvard Law School. It's great to have you here on a day like today, Dan. First on monetary policy, I think I think the Fed was pretty much in line with the markets, hiking rates, signaling it's going to slow down big time, maybe even pause soon. The one part where there's a disconnect is the market now expects the Fed to be cutting rates as of July. And Venture Powell said, we're not looking to cut rates this year. Who do you think ends up winning that battle? Well, I, d I really don't know, obviously. But I think what was going on in that discussion was pretty clearly uh, Jay Powell's effort to walk this rather narrow line between the concerns that everybody has about credit conditions tightening on the one hand and the Fed's continued concerns about inflation. So he, he was, I think, using the we're going to stick wherever we get for a while as his way of reaffirming that they're still focused on inflation, even though, as many people have commented, it was a quite dovish hike, which was obviously meant to nod in the direction of the uh, reduction in credit flows. So you, you've been at the Fed for a long time, 2009 to 2017, and you were in charge of bank supervision right? F financial regulation. What do you think went wrong here at SVB? Well, there was clearly, a, as Jay Powell said yesterday, there was clearly a failure at the management level. Um, but I think it's pretty clear there was a failure of supervision as well. The question is where and how did that failure occur? Based on the reporting that we've seen uh, over the past week or so, it does appear as though a new team of on-site supervisors at Silicon Valley Bank identified some of the very issues that ended up leading to its demise, but there wasn't a follow-through on that. And, and I should say, one sees that not infrequently. If you look at failed bank reports, uh, you know, the material loss reviews that are done when a bank fails, oftentimes you will see the supervisors identified the problem but then they didn't push hard enough to get the bank to resolve it. So maybe that's what was going on here. And the additional question is, to what degree was the on-site team following guidance or leads from Washington uh, over the past several years? So the, the question of supervisory responsibility may be a shared one. 
So, so do you think there was a lapse here by the regular, the, the Federal Reserve? The, the, oh yeah, the they had, had, there's absolutely a lapse. Fed? There's absolutely a lapse. The question is exactly how did that lapse occur? And I think it, it's quite likely that the on-site team bears some of the responsibility. But the mm -hmm. question I'm also putting on the table is whether some of the um, uh, failure of the of the team to follow up in a very um, uh, rigorous way may have had something to do with the guidance that they were getting from Washington on bank supervision generally. I don't mean on SVB, right. but, but as you all know, over the last four or five years, the message went out that there was going to be a lighter touch on bank supervision. Do, do would new regulations, the likes of which Elizabeth Warren, for example, has come on the show and said we need do anything to change that? I mean, if you have regulations, but you don't have the enforcers enforcing them, it wouldn't seem to matter. Right. Well, there are two separate issues here. One, you know, do, should one should one roll back what both the 2018 legislation did and the 2019 Fed implementation, which went well beyond in deregulating, went well beyond what the legislation called for. And, you know, I think that legislation was built on the false premise that banks of under $250 billion are not collectively systemically important. They are. Um, you go, you, so some change in regulation needs to be made. The Fed has some authority to do it, even with no legislative changes. But whatever kind of regs you have in place, you do rely on supervision. I mean, look at it this way. If you rely totally on regulations, you have to set your regulation with, if not the worst case, one of the worst cases in mind, and thus really tighten regulation on all banks. And if you do that, the credit constraints are on, on an ongoing basis are going to be considerable. So you want to be able to set yeah. your regulation in a way that applies, mm -hmm. but then the supervisors fill in. We'll have to have you back on. We, we, need, we need a whole... Harvard Law history lesson here on this and, and as we figure out what happened and what they're going to do about it. Daniel Cerullo, for now, thank you very much. Sure thing. Well, still to come, uh, you're not going to want to miss the former NEC director. Of course, he was also president of Goldman Sachs a while back. Gary Cohn, he'll have the latest for us on what he thinks about the rate hike, banking system. We'll talk about a lot of stuff. We'll be right back. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.